we, ha we had a uh, challenging week. On Tuesday, Colleen had uh, heart surgery that, um, um, you know, just naturally you mess with the big equipment. You're a little bit nervous, and uh, uh, the Lord was good and kind, and, and it all went really well. Um, and then the following day, Colleen's dad went home to be with the Lord. You might have read or, or heard something about that, Sanford Justice. And I, you know, I just want to comment on, one, he was a, um, he was a character. I mean, that, that just the only way I could describe him after the first time I met him and, and all the way through um, my marriage with Colleen, but I, uh, he blessed me in so many ways. I learned so much about being um, a father and a husband from him. And a couple of years ago, we were able to move them up here uh, as, as their needs for care increased and the Lord just opened up doors like crazy. It was just, it was uh, so miraculous how everything came together and, and, uh, and so mom and dad lived really just behind our house. We could see their backyard from, from our back deck and uh, not that we were spying on them or anything. But uh, they became part of the congregation and that was big for them. It was huge. And, and, and I am so, just so grateful to the church here that embraced them so and, and, and gave them an experience of fellowship that they had never known in their entire life. And, and, um, and this is coming from probably uh, some of the most devoted Catholics you've, you've ever known. Um, but they had a blessed time here, and, and it was hard to, at times, um, as Sanford's Alzheimer advanced, to really know what he was thinking. But you'd love looking out in the congregation and this 80-plus-year-old man raising his hands. He loved to sing. He, he, he just loved it, and, um, and we trust he's with the Lord. So we just, uh, I just want to express for myself and Colleen how grateful we are for how the church came around them and, and, um, and, and Sanford and, and that he had um, this opportunity from the Lord in his last days. So that was truly a blessing. So just a couple of announcements. Summer of Grace update. And again, this is, we're taking a break from community groups and, and we wanted to create an environment through the summer that just facilitated the whole church coming together on a regular basis. We are, we are so desiring that the church just continues to unify and be drawn together. So we want to offer these Wednesday nights. There's going to be all kinds of, um, you know, we, have, we haven't planned them all out. We have, you know, tons of ideas. In fact, if you'd like to be part of planning and executing uh, some of those evenings. If you have an idea for whatever, a spaghetti feed or pizza night or something like that, a game night, uh, just talk to one of the elders. But uh, we're starting to put that together. It's going to be for the months of July and August. And uh, we're looking forward to just a great time of fellowship with the church. Reminder to the guys, June 10th, men's breakfast, there is sign-ups in the foyer. So make sure you do that, and, and so we know how much food to cook and that sort of thing. And then, uh, I better not forget, the blacktop is being 
uh, resealed today and restriped. So if you're going to head out for breakfast after church, don't leave your car in the parking lot. It may have a different color when you come back. Okay? All right. Well, let me start this morning with a scripture reading. Would you please stand and join me? We'll be in Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, reading 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. You may be seated. Father, we come before you this morning, hearts full from worship of you, hearing of the glories of Christ. Father, we look at this record that Luke produced for the church, Acts of the Apostles, and we're just so grateful for the testimony of how you moved and worked within the lives of the early church, how you established the church in such power. And Father, we confess we desire to experience that same kind of power. Father, we pray that you would bless this study this morning, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would stimulate us to faith and action. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're continuing in the book of Acts, going into chapter 2. And of course, following Jesus' Jesus's arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection, Jesus shows himself to the disciples, and the Bible says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Not only did he help them 
understand that all that had been taken place was according to the Father's plan, but it was in fulfillment of the Scriptures. In fact, Luke records Jesus saying in 2444 that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That is an astounding thing to say, isn't it? The law of Moses, all five books, Genesis, Exodus, and so on, the prophets, the Psalms, they all spoke of Jesus. And the most tragic thing, most everybody missed it. Most everybody missed it. The Jewish religious leaders, the scholars, the lawyers, the scribes, and the people, most of them missed it. And if you remember earlier on in Jesus' ministry, during one of the feasts, the Jews, Jesus was confronted for healing on the Sabbath of all things. And he responded, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness of me. See, the Jews were so focused on their checklists and condemning Jesus for not keeping them that they had completely missed the promise and the hope of salvation. Now, as our story picks up here in Acts 2, the 12, and this is including Matthias, who took the place of Judas Iscariot, and the others are together in one place. The place is probably the same upper room where they were gathered in one accord, devoted to prayer. And if you remember, Jesus promised in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So let's just flesh this picture out a little bit. We have the 12, but in addition to those, we have what makes up 120, we're told. And this is comprised of, you'd say, faithful disciples. These are those who had followed Jesus' ministry from the beginning and who believed in Jesus. And then it says there are the women, doubtless They included Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Clopas, sisters Mary and Martha, and Salome. Some of the apostles' wives were probably also present. And of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And interestingly enough, this is the last time we will hear Mary's name in the New Testament. And then lastly, we're told Jesus' brothers and sisters were present. And those are named, if you look back in Mark 6, 3, as James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. The sisters are never married, but it is indicated that he had sisters, half-sisters as well. James, of course, will become the leader of the Jerusalem church and the author of the epistle that bears his name. Judas, or Jude, will write the epistle of Jude. So that's this 120 in this upper room. The time, it's Pentecost. The place is Jerusalem. And here in Acts, the beginning of our text, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, 
I'll read it again. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we see the disciples in the house and Luke describing this scene inside the house. And he, he quite obviously, he, he struggles to find adequate human imagery to communicate what he's seeing or what's been seen. You hear phrases like, a sound like, or tongues as of fire. It's only natural that we, we think of literal wind or we think of literal fire. But he's, he's grasping for imagery to explain these unbelievably fantastic experiences that they're having. And what's interesting is you can see it displayed in a threefold experience as they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So first it says it was audible. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house. So it sounded like wind, but it seemed to have no origin. It was in and about them and around them. It was not only audible, it was visual. It says, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Sort of this visual pyrotechnic display that rested and lay upon each individual. I'm confident nobody was burned in the process, but their attention was definitely gotten. And it was apparently not only visible to the individual, but it was apparent to each other. John, do you see what's on you? Peter, do you see what's on you? Everybody is witnessing this together. It was not only audible, visual, it was verbal. It says in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it's at this point, all the Baptists leave. That's a joke. There's no Baptist yet. But seriously, something is definitely different. This is dramatic. I don't know what the disciples expected, but I don't think they expected anything like this. Paul just to give a little bit of clarity, later on, we know many of the verses that are in Corinthians where Paul is talking about the use of gifts and that sort of thing. And one of the clarifying things that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, is he says that... Um, it's where Paul talks about the baptism with the Spirit, but it makes clear that it is a one-time act by which God places all believers into the body of Christ. He says this, For in one Spirit we were all baptized 
into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. That's the experience of every believer at the point of salvation. But this filling of the Holy Spirit, talked about here in Pentecost, is different. This is special. This is a purposeful, powerful outpouring of the Spirit. And we'll see it again and again. Just a couple chapters later on in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, we see Peter and John are brought before the council for teaching on the resurrection and preaching Jesus. And it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is boldness. That is boldness. And remember Jesus' promise. Matthew 10, 19. Jesus told the disciples, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That is the promise and the reality that is fueling Peter before the council. I mean, what confidence and boldness Peter must have had experiencing knowing he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. He counted on this. Or Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In the face of threatenings, in the face of beatings, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working within them. So that's the scene inside this house. The apostles and the other disciples, the 120, it's an explosive scene. And then in verse 5, we're looking at a different scene. This is the crowd outside the house. So let me read verse 5 through 13. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speaking, speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues 
the mighty works of God. And then it says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. These guys are drunk. So this is the crowd outside. Why aren't they there? Well, this is Pentecost. It is the time of Pentecost festival, and Pentecost is one of the seven major Jewish festivals. This is one of the most popular ones. It was in celebration of the wheat harvest in which there was an offering for the first fruits. And when you think about that, it's a sweet connection. This is the beginning of the church, and we're seeing the first fruits of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church. It was also a festival where men, devout men particularly, had an obligation to appear in Jerusalem before God. So there were, of course, large numbers of both men and women who would be present. And it was also, as noted, enormously popular. It took place when the weather was optimal in Jerusalem. And some say the population of Jerusalem would swell with faithful tourists, including significant numbers of non-Jews who would observe the festivities. Some of the estimates are as high as 250,000. That seems uh, probably a, a, a little bit high, but it was a lot of people. What we do know is the temple area and around in Jerusalem, it was absolutely packed. So Luke says... Jews and devout men from every nation are under heaven. Who are these Jews, these devout men? Well, we know they're from distant lands, but they are Jews. So these are probably, to a large extent, pilgrims from various lands of the dispersion, dysphoria. If you haven't ever heard that term, it's the term of those who who had been taken in, in one of the early exiles, perhaps, to Babylonia. And even though the Bible tells us that, that uh, uh, people came back to Israel, reestablished the country and many of its practices, many of those people, they had established lives where they had been taken. They had kids, they had jobs, Maybe they had businesses, they had farms, whatever, and they stayed, many of them. And in fact, if you look at this list of of, um, languages and nationalities, it covers all the way across the northern part of Africa, up into Syria, up into what would be modern-day Turkey, over into Greece, Rome, and so forth. So really all around the um, southern, eastern, and northern portions of the Mediterranean. So it's a broad group of people. And it said only at the Jerusalem temple could they attend these special sacrificial services prescribed for that holy convocation of Pentecost. 
So to give you a, a modern day example, if you've ever tuned in to one of the news stations when it's around um, Passover in Israel, it is a huge international event. And it draws Jews from all over the world. Every, every corner of the globe draws Jews and other people into the city. It's over, overflowing with people. And they're all there to celebrate this festival. So here, in the midst of this giant multinational celebration, the Bible says, at this sound, the multitude came together. So apparently, at the sound of the rushing wind, the exaltations of the disciples experiencing this filling of the Holy Spirit, it just, it just drew this multitude around. So we can picture the scene out of this nearby house where the apostles and the disciples were meeting. It, it apparently spilled out into the surrounding area. And this festival multitude from the nearby temple hears the commotions and they gather this exuberant, joyful group of Galileans proclaiming at the top of their voice the mighty works of God. But wait, they say. The multitude wasn't just hearing Galilean. Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents, and blah, blah, blah. Doesn't say blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they were all hearing them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. You can almost picture this scene if, if we happen to be in just a, a, a wonderful time of worship. The church is gathered. We're in here singing. The Lord pours his spirit out upon us. And we, we experience something like this. And you know what? It's July 5th, and the rally is right downtown. People are walking by. We're coming out. We're just hallelujah, glory to God. What is going on? Let's do it. Amen. Well, Luke records their response. The multitude is one responded in bewilderment, verse 6, amazement, verse 7, Astonishment, verse 7. Perplexity, verse 12. I think Luke ran out of words. But at this point, we see what has happened inside the house. We've seen what, what started to happen outside the house in the surrounding temple area. So at this point, you might be asking, so what? So what? Is it all just fluff? Some big light show? What purpose is God serving at this time? Well, the answer is in verse 12. It says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? What does this mean? I think there are many meanings you can draw from this text, but some are obvious. And the first, I would say, is 
They didn't know what it all meant, but they knew it meant something. The events at Pentecost got their attention. It got their attention. It made them stop in the midst of the festival. It made them think. It made them ask questions. So think about it. When you were drawn to the Lord, what was the first thing God needed to do? He needed to get your attention. He needed to get your attention. One way or another, the Lord got your attention. The Holy Spirit convicted you of sin. You heard the gospel call to repent of your sins. And you believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins through the blood that he shed on the cross. What does this mean, Peter heard the crowd screaming. I can almost hear him say, I'm glad you asked. And for the next 27 verses, Peter preaches at Pentecost. And of all things, we can jump down to verse 41 where it says, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Out of this huge crowd, Peter preaches perhaps the greatest sermon ever given in the New Testament, and 3,000 souls join the church. The church is exploding. It's exploding through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does this all mean? Second, I think you could say that we should all desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is God's means of empowering us for more and greater ministry. Through the filling of the Holy Spirit, we receive illumination of his word. Through the filling of the Holy Spirit, we grasp the beauty of his truth. Through the filling of the Holy Spirit, we experience God's presence and glory in a clearer, more intimate way. And only through the filling of the Holy Spirit are we able to glorify him. Third, Pentecost foreshadows God's salvation is for all peoples. Look at Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Luke 13, 29. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. And then Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. God's salvation is for all peoples. And yes, even that mean neighbor or that annoying coworker, or that homeless, scary homeless guy, 
Salvation is for these. And we are to be witness of Jesus Christ to all. Well, fourth, I think we can see that God pours out his Holy Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses, right? That was the promise from the beginning. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I know this is obvious, but I think we forget this when we are fearful or timid about being a witness of Christ. We have to remind ourselves, God has promised to empower us to be his witness. And we are witnesses on his strength, not our own. Fifth comes from Acts 2.13. You might have picked up on it. But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. And this is the reality. Not everyone will hear us out. Not everyone will want the message. And their immediate response is to laugh at us. Those times we have to remember we are not called to save people, are we? Christ saves. We are called to bear witness to Christ. And finally, God pours out his Holy Spirit for a purpose. Have you ever asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you didn't say what for? Instead, be purposeful, be specific, show intentionality. Don't just pray, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Instead, pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can share what you have done in my life with my son. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can give the gospel to Aunt Sue. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can, so that I can speak truth in love to my friend, calling him to repentance. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I might speak boldly to my neighbor when I'm afraid to speak. See, if we are asking the Holy Spirit to show up, let's make sure we are asking him to show up for something. The filling of the Holy Spirit, if you should so choose to grant tongues or other gifts, those aren't to be put on a resume, you know, multilingual. They're to be used. They're to be used for a purpose. So let's ask that God would grant his Holy Spirit. And lastly, isn't it amazing how faithful and good God is? All he really asks is that we believe in him. He makes us witnesses. He gives us opportunity. He provides his Holy Spirit. And it's his promise to do so. Let's pray.
Father, we just look at these events of Pentecost and the gift of your Holy Spirit that you poured so freely out upon your church. We see the effect, the empowerment of your apostles, your disciples. And Father, we see the effect upon the community about them. We see 3,000 coming to faith in Christ. The church is born. The church is, is born in power and a working of your Holy Spirit. Father, we confess we would, we would desire to have that work among us. We pray, Father God, that you would bless us, that you would pour your Spirit out upon this church. Father, we desire to be your witnesses. We desire to be witnesses of all that you have done in our lives individually. And Father, to be witness of what you have done for all mankind. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, we pray that you would empower us to be used in that purpose. And we will give you all the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a couple things I wanted to share with you. If you guys are looking for something to sort of kick off some summer reading, we have a couple little, they're really booklets. They're kind of thing you can, you can do in one reading. You'll find them out there on the credenza. They're free to you. I really encourage you to grab one. One is by A.W. Tozer, Total Commitment to Christ. What is it? Wonderful little booklet. And then from J.C. Ryle. These are all old dead guys, of course, but those are the classics. Those are the great ones. Repentance, what it means to repent and why we must do so. So they're free. Encourage you to grab them. Kick off summer with some, with some good biblical reading. Would you stand? Let me give you a blessing. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You are dismissed.